Hello there. Welcome to the Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality, delving into the plant-powered world of herbalism. So do you know your echinacea from your eleutherococcus or your polyphenol from your polysaccharides? Whether you're a budding herbalist, an inquisitive health professional, or a botanical beginner, Herbcast is here to inform and inspire you on your journey to integrating herbs in our everyday lives. So settle down, turn us up, and let's start today's episode of the Herbal Reality Herbcast. Welcome everybody to this next Herbcast in the series from Herbal Reality. It's my delight today to talk with an old colleague of mine, Alex Laird, who we've known for, we reckon, up to 30 years now. Uh, and uh, has, Alex has been in the forefront of the development of the herbal profession for all that time and has been on the board of the College of Practitioners of Phytotherapy uh, for many years with me, uh, but has been active in so many other ways that we'll hear about today. And I'm really looking forward to hearing Alex's experiences and, and what she can share with the rest of us. So, uh, Alex, where, where should we start? Where, where did you get into herbal medicine originally? Uh, well, it's really fun to be doing this with you, actually, Simon. Um, I uh, got into herbal medicine um, initially because I was, uh, after television, about a dozen years of television, I started studying uh, aromatherapy and then practiced for about eight years as an aromatherapist, um, partly for my own mental health. And I wasn't happy with doing television eventually and wanted to change my life, really, and just followed this pleasure thread into aromatherapy, thinking how wonderful essential oils were and how interesting that they had a medicinal action. And so during that time, I uh, also happened, this is really formative and for which I must pay tribute to you, because I read your book, which I know now is you would consider very out of date, but is was called The Essential Book of Herbal Medicine, once called, I think, Out of the Earth. And it was transformative to me while I was practicing uh, aromatherapy, or maybe I was training, I can't remember, but it suddenly showed me this book that set out the relationship between health and Chinese medicine, how Chinese medicine looked at health, um, herbs, the medicinal aspects, but also the, physio- the physiology of the human body and medicine. So it was bringing so many strands together, and it had the heart and the mind and the intellect and the spirit and the soul. And I was totally captured. And I didn't know there was such a thing called herbal medicine, a profession called herbal medicine. And that was illuminated it for me. And I thought, this is perfect. I'm already practicing or, you know, aromatherapy, which is just the aromatic part. And I studied some Chinese medicine as part of that with Gabriel Moje in my training, brilliant training. Uh, for a year, a mere year. And so I suddenly started looking into herbal medicine and that I could train and learn all about the things that I wanted to, medicine, science, all of these aspects, as well as incorporating what I'd long wanted to be, which I thought I wanted to be, which was eventually when I grew up, as it were, a psychotherapist or a psychoanalyst. So I could bring all of that. Basically, how does it mean, what does it mean to be a human being and a healthy human being? into herbal medicine and that's what happened and i went and set up you know trained with the college of phytotherapy and set up an herbal practice or were you doing other things were you bringing in some of your other disciplines as well at that point 
Well, no, I was um, still practicing. I mean, I had to earn, earn a living, and I was still practicing as an aromatherapist. Um, right. Alongside, I have to say, chronic fatigue, having post-viral chronic fatigue, which had partly prompted my move into studying aromatherapy. Um, so what was brilliant, and I'm sure other herbalists find this too, is that I was able to exp um, develop my clinical skills as an aromatherapist while I was studying herbal medicine. So the two were going along almost all the way, so hand in hand. Case, we piggyback on other <laughs> so you go exactly. into herbal practice, you... Um, uh, what, what what were the sort of landmarks along your journey? Where where would you like to pick up the story uh, for us today? Well, the, the, again, it, it's all serendipity, isn't it? For so many so many of us, um, I live in Fulham, and Fulham was or Fulham and Hammersmith is the HQ was then the HQ of HIV and AIDS treatment. And I, like so many others, I knew people who were HIV positive or had AIDS or were dying. And um, HIV and AIDS, people with HIV and AIDS had pioneered really relationships with complementary medicine and things like massage, acupuncture, and so on, and herbal medicine. And so I was very blessed that there were near me um, some clinics that I basically started working in as an aromatherapist with HIV and AIDS, drug users with HIV. Um, I worked at Coca-Cola running this aromatherapy clinic and also at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. And um, and so when I trained and finished as a medical her uh, sorry, when I finished training in 1999, I started looking around um, to where to work. And it so happened that Breast Cancer Haven started up in my very own backyard. And so I was able to go and work there, which was brilliant as the first medical herbal, yeah, first medical herbalist. There were subsequently about five different branches of Breast Cancer Haven before very sadly it closed in around 2021, I think, or so. And I was there for about 20 years. Um, but I also was um, invited, as we all were actually, by the lovely Tony Bewley, who's a dermatologist at Whips Cross Hospital, to sit in with them because it's a teaching hospital. Well, that's thanks to uh, Andreas Ceramis because Tony, uh, Tony had been sending patients to Andreas Ceramis, who used to teach at Westminster, medical herbalist and osteopath, and um, was really, he was so surprised and impressed by the results of herbal medicine. And he came to speak to us as students at Bermondsey, the clinic, the College of Practitioners, uh, College of Phytotherapy uh, Clinic at Bermondsey. He came to speak to us about cancer or gave us a couple of lectures. And he would just say, oh, well, you're welcome to come and sit in with me. Anybody can, because it's a cheap, well, not anybody, but, you know, you as students can come and sit in with me uh, at, at Whips Cross in Leytonstone. And I happened to be the first person because we were all involved with exams or something. So it took a while, but I eventually did. And he would turn to me with patients in the room and say, well, what would you do with this patient? Or how would you work with, with them? And he, that was it. He just said, well, I think you should come and work here. And then he, but it, he, they couldn't fund us, of course. And so that's where the uh, colleges, UEL at that point, um, uh, various colleges that were teaching herbal medicine, um, basically came and funded me to practice there because we were given space, free room, and the patients were then referred by the dermatologists and the team 
to me. And then we had other uh, clinics running too because we had all the other universities, Middlesex and Westminster, wanted to have their students sitting in because the beauty is they the students sit in with me in the morning and then with one of the team the medical team in the afternoon. So they get both aspects Gosh. of... So you, you were effectively a tutor at, uh, at Wits Cross. Exactly. Lectures, actually, Simon, to... We actually gave lectures Gosh. to the um, collected GPs and so on because that was another role that Tony had developed was to teach uh, GPs and and so on about what dermatology is, you know, and... This, that, that, this yeah. is fascinating because, I mean, you know, dermatology is obviously a very demanding... Uh, uh, area in medicine and here we are as herbalists offering uh, a real option here i mean how did it work i mean were you actually seeing difficult patients in 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 the room when you were presenting or were you talking about them more in theory uh you're obviously dealing with patients yourself but how did it work well talk us through it Right. Well, the, the teaching bit was just occasional lecturing on an evening uh, now and again to the GPs. But the, 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 the work itself is once a month. It's always been a monthly clinic, an all-day clinic once a month. Um, as I say, patients, I, I just like any other medical herbalist, you know, I have a room. Uh, we had a, 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 several students in there, medical herbalist, other other practitioners or doctors could could sit in as well if they wanted and then in those days of course at the beginning 2000 it started were face everything was face to face so um we'd have well in those days too many actually six students sitting in the patient comes in referred by the team um the diagnosis is already given of at least the skin condition. And they may have either gone through treatment already and found that not working or had actually asked to be seen by a herbalist if they knew about him, about them because they wanted to try a different form of treatment. So I would see the patients as pretty much, I suppose, most of us do now, for an hour for a first patient, a follow-up, half an hour for a, for a follow-up, and might see patients and would see them of course every month or not necessarily every month it might be i'd see them first of all for a month and then maybe it might be six weeks eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever and often these are long-term problems so they they could be anyway from eczema to acne to rosacea um vitiligo alopecia of various sorts um there are many and, and often actually now perhaps more we get um, conditions like uh, patients with conditions like what, what would be actually classified as psychodermatology, so Morgellons or um, uh, conditions where patients are feeling they've got crawling under the skin, there's no clear diagnosis, it might have a psychological element to it. So, yes, often the more difficult patients. So, yes, we can get hived, hived off, as it were, the more difficult. But for us, that's also more interesting. And I think that's where the psychology, understanding and learning much more about the therapeutic relationship and about trauma and about... Uh, you know, the complexity of being a human being. and By definition, these were serious cases because you wouldn't be referred to a dermatologist unless you had something that was not... Uh, not succumbing to treatment, uh, you know, that presumably so you were seeing fairly tough cases. Yes, and therefore you had to explain to the patient that this wasn't a silver bullet. I mean, the, the patients that we see there at the hospital are very 
are quite different, really, from the, the, the kinds of patients that you would be seeing, that most of us are seeing in a private practice. They're not already signed up, necessarily. Certainly not signed up to paying. And, of course, they don't have to pay for my time because that's paid by the students. Thank you very much. But it's paid by the, they do have to pay for their medicines. So, again, you have to be creative. If there are people on very low incomes, you have to think very much about, you know, how we can make this available you know, herbal medicine available. And these were the same herbal medicines you would use in your practice, so they're tinctures and extracts and liquids. Tinctures, exactly. Tinctures, tablets, a lot because we have a very uh, large Muslim population or those who don't want to take alcohol for one reason or the other. And so it's no good giving tinctures. So, you know, yes, there's got to be more work, either boiling up or um, tablets are really useful. And was this work being audited or uh, was there data being generated out of this? We did. We did. We we started doing, um, first of all, we started from square one using Westminster University's adapted measure your medical outcome yes. profile, yes. MIMOC which was on one page, and that was a really useful. So, you know, you could literally see every um, uh, appointment, you'd, you'd say, between a zero and six, so a seven-point scale, how the patient's own reported symptoms had improved and uh, or not. <laughs> and um, so I find that really useful tool, well-being yes. as well, was recorded there. And, and what sort of approaches, I mean, you know... As we know, in herbal practice, everyone's different, so all our approaches are different. But uh, were you uh, going for particular types of approach? I mean, given that you were sometimes having to use tablets, which presumably were standardised to some extent, I mean, were, were there particular strategies you adopted or was it really as wide as every other patient's needs? Well, first of all, we are looking at all the issues that the patient feels that they need help with, not just the skin condition. Um, so, yes, I would be using, where I could, I'd be using tinctures, but, yes, I'd be using, you know, polypharmacy, you know, five, six, seven herbs, whatever, um, but trying very much to go with the, to impress upon the patients and educate them really about food because of keeping blood sugar levels even and how to get the herbs, the spices, the phytochemicals, the phytonutrients in to their more diverse diet. So part of what you were so, doing was to perhaps be an antidote to the usual doctor's thing, which you slap something on a skin problem. Uh, you're talking about the internal factors behind the skin, presumably that. We're Lots looking, to do with the gut and, yeah. and digestion and that area. Gut, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's very functional medicine. It's very fun. It always has. I think you know whether you're a physio, medicalist, eclectic, yeah. whatever. You are really we're functional medicine practitioners. It's just that the functions are being more clearly defined as time goes on, and we can Im incl include the energetics. You know, a hot, cold condition, or whatever, and that was where having a Chinese medicine background a little bit—not not to the extent of you or other people who really know that in depth—but having the the model was really helpful. So we, um, yes, I mean, I'd be looking at I'd be looking at the pathophysiology of the condition of the skin condition or any other condition for that matter. What is going on at a molecular level and a cell level? Very important that. Um, and then also, obviously, finding out from the patient 
you know, getting an indication of how their liver was and their gut was and all of these other things. And then addressing all of those things really through food um, and and with herbs. And given, given, as you um, say, a lot of these patients were uh, socially uh, deprived and certainly not used to taking herbs. Was was foods a more productive line for you to take on the whole, do you think? Yes. I mean, it, it, it often is. Um, and people... And I think, as you made the point before, that often these patients are, because they're secondary care, um, they've gone through the mill a lot. They've lived with this condition for a long time. So they are ready to make changes. Many of them, not not all, but many are. And so, yes. And, and also what was lovely is having a very wide range of um, uh, different cultures in, in Leytonstone, and particularly, say, those of Asian origin, you know, that you could build on knowledge that they might have, not necessarily, so many people have been most, you know, have been born in this country, but nevertheless might remember certain things that they were given as a child. So you build on that, and certainly with the, with the, the spices yes. and the herbs. And, you know, I would, uh, for example, I mean, with uh, nigella seeds, you know, which has got all sorts of very misleading common names, as you know, you know, like black onion seed, nothing to do with onions, kalonji. Uh, and these are, uh, you know, it's an amazing plant and particularly effective in inflammatory conditions like eczema and so on topically and internally. So I and that's, of course, a very cheap and easy thing to get over yeah. the counter especially in, in that part of the, you know, London. So They're well used to it as well in many other doctors. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, a very good, I'm going to quickly, we'll come back to it in a moment, but you've raised a quick thought. Uh, the herbs or the, the uh, herbs that you personally keep coming back to in, the, in, mm. in Whips Cross, were there herbs that you would offer more often than others? Yes, Definitely. Definitely. So I suppose, well, first of all, if somebody can't take tincture, um, I, I have to say I don't find it that easy to get people to, I know your Chinese medicine practitioners do, to boil things up every, you know. <laughs> um, if you're not used to it, you know. Well, if you're not used to it, but it's also more work and people are stressed and they haven't got time and, you know, it's, it's it's yeah, that, that that's quite a challenge. So, um what I tend to do is give a lot of Mediherb tablets because they are authenticated yes. with pharmaceutical GMP. But as I uh, say to people, these are not pharmaceutical reduced, um, you know, isolated components from plants. They are the whole plant or as much as we can. And they're made mm. from the tinctures, but no alcohol. So um, those I tend to give quite a bit uh, alongside... Uh, so things like Clevis Complex, for example, I use a lot, which is a very classic mix yep. for skin um, with Berberis aquifolium and Apium, uh, no, sorry, uh, with Smilax as well uh, in it and Rumex and Arctium, I think. And then um, I give a lot of licorice. Uh, I give uh, Berberis aquifolium, Paeonia, Lactiflora, Scutellaria bicolensis, and Scutellaria lateriflora. Um, um, I mean, they're all the kind of very typical skin, you know, Tarax yes. rad, uh, all the classic skin plants really and also maybe because one i had heard this is only an anecdotal thing but uh 
uh, a nurse had written a lot about one of the most intractable conditions, which is lichen sclerosis, vaginal lichen sclerosis, which is absolutely devastating mm. autoimmune yes. condition, particularly to yes. younger women who are wanting to have an active self, sex life or children or whatever, or just sex life, really. And um, uh, using, she had used a tea of red clover, now she was in America, and where the red clover is lovely yes. and pink, and not we can't get that here. It would be quite strong doses, wouldn't it? Well, not that strong, weirdly enough. And she found that that was the single most useful, relieving um, uh, herb. And bear in mind, yes. on its own, that she had she had found, and she was really into the whole science of this as well. Um, so I have been using red clover. I don't use it nearly as much as I feel I should. I don't really feel I get good quality red clover, dried red clover. That's part of the problem. But um, yeah, so all of those kinds of herbs, really. Yeah, good. Thank you. Well, I just, a little detour. I know many people listening like to have their their favourite herbs on the on the pack, but uh, we keep yeah. coming back to the point, of, particularly with skin, that these are by definition very complex conditions with many avenues that one could pursue in any individual case uh, but you have always had a strong feel for the value of food and the quality of food and mm -hmm. the role that food plays in a culture and that uh, maybe we could segue on to some of the work that you did uh, under the living medicine banner can you tell us a little bit more about mm -hmm. how living medicine came to be and the lessons you learned from that uh, in, in linking the medicines and the foods and the cultures uh, together. So tell tell yeah. us a living medicine story. Uh, yeah, I will. Maybe I should just, just say something, though, about just to pick up a little bit more on the functional medicine side and because it applies as well to what we're going to talk about here with living medicine. But it's things, and I was just looking at time, you know, as another example. So what we're trying to do in the body is address a whole lot of functions that are not working as well as they should. And that would be, you know, learning about liver function, phase two, phase one, phase two, and what the role is of foods and herbs in, you know, enabling conjugation, for example, providing the substrate for conjugation, for example. Well, foods do that very, very well, of course. I mean, there are phytochemicals in foods as well Absolutely. as in plants. That's what plants are. And I think that isn't really emphasized nearly enough, and I try and do that. Um, but the antiseptic actions, of course, of, of aromatic herbs, the essential oil components, not only but often, the bitters, you know, what those are doing on the immune system, you know, their action on the immune system we're now learning. So there are a whole host of those different um, actions, and it's really illuminating that in the food world as well, to which everybody has access. So, yeah, living medicine came about um, because in, gosh, 2003, actually, when I first heard that here in Fulham, um, that the council, my Hammersmith and Fulham council, had taken over Fulham Palace, which was the home of the Bishops of London, the summer home of the Bishop, Bishops of London for a thousand years. And it's a beautiful Tudor building with an 18, 19th century, 18th century addition and a huge garden and a walled garden that was derelict. And they wanted to know what we, as Fulham residents, thought should happen to this building. And because it had had a history of being a botanical garden, thanks to one of the bishops, Bishop Compton, uh, in the 18th century, and well-known, and he was getting plants from all around the world from his vicars or whatever their 
known as. Um, he was he was more interested in that, it seemed, even than doing his job as a bishop, but uh, thank goodness for the rest of us. So he'd created this wonderful botanical garden. So it had a history of a world garden, if you like. And it suddenly struck me, I was very young, well, a very uh, still, well, I was working at Whips Cross and Breast Cancer Haven by this time, by this time 2003. So I'd got very little experience under, under my belt, but I'd long been interested in global medicine. And actually, when I was running the student group in London, um, had got, um, um, you know, had, had asked um, Gerard Bodica, who ran something called Gifts of Health, Global Initiatives for Traditional Systems of Health, to come and speak to us about how um, traditional medicine around the world uh, had been, had be, was being used in those countries in the 20th century, as it was then. Because this is last century. And so I was just, I thought, you know, there has to be a role for bringing modern so-called, you know, modern medicine, which had become very reductionist, to open it up by sharing knowledge with, you know, traditional medicine practitioners like us, although we were modernized as well, because we had already done that. We were incorporating and always had, I suppose, a medical herbalist, modern, modern medicine um, with uh, tradition and function. And so uh, I was just long fascinated by this. And suddenly this light bulb went off and I saw this image of this beautiful garden and learned about its background. <gasps> My goodness, we need something we don't have, which is a global world garden of herbal medicine and this could be a site for it because we've got 112 120 languages in fulham and hammersmith so we've got a huge spread of the world's knowledge uh, uh, possibly of traditional medicine too or at least people who might have links to that and we could make this as a home that would complement q and as you so well put um uh, kind of like a necklace of beautiful gardens, would, would this one would be the one that would teach the public, the world's visitors, and showcase all the world's herbal medicine traditions, but also teach it and um, uh, and then people themselves would be uh, who identified with those traditions would be uh, able to showcase their own their own traditions and we bring bring it all together. Yes, very happy to have joined that effort and obviously we found that it wasn't the most suitable site after all uh, but you took what we then call living medicine on didn't you and and developed yes. that into something that was community-based well in order even just to have the first you know to set something up like this and as i said say you know you i must pay tribute to you too for this which is um that you, i had this idea and i had I think I may have even written something up about it. And I immediately, when we, we were coming together for a, a CPP uh, seminar uh, in wherever it was, you know, that was a lovely... Yes, built a lovely garden. I said, oh, Simon, I've just had this idea because Fulham Palace is looking for an idea to have a purpose and it's got a walled garden. What about a global herbal medicine centre? And you just said, I'm in. And I was bowled over by that and and that you had you could see you know a vision of what it could be, and then from there, I went to the school of social entrepreneurs, I learned about the third sector, I uh, had to understand about what 
collaboration was all about with people. This is about participation. It's not about somebody having a big idea and then plonking it down. It's And this was a big journey for me to learn about what, how you make a, 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 a... Well, it was a charity as we developed. We decided that was the way to go forward. But how do you bring other people into this? How do you bring communities in? Because it's got to be owned by a community if you're going to do such a thing. To cut a very long story short, it wasn't the right moment to create a great World Herbal Medicine Centre, not least because of funding and so on. And Tim Smith's Eden Project had already happened, uh, which covered some of the same ground, but not, not wasn't devoted entirely to plant medicine. So what I was advised by wonderful consultants and community groups and visiting lots of other places around the country that were doing something vaguely similar, was to um, focus on what is our core offering. And the core offering, which you and I and many others are totally signed up to, is education. Most herbalists are signed up to this because this is what we all do individually. We go and talk to groups. We teach people in whatever form, the public. And so I realized this was what we could offer living medicine, would be a kind of off-the-shelf Courses. They could be off-the-shelf courses, um, which we would develop and offer to other qualified and experienced medical herbalists to run in their own areas. And the benefit would be that they, as a charity that we had set up, they could use us as a partner with other partners that they would find locally to leave a funding, whether that was through their local authority or through other charities or whatever, which they couldn't do on their own or can't do so easily on their own as an independent practitioner. But with joining with us as a charity, that's what they can do. So we developed um, uh, with lovely other medical herbalists all helping and delivering and so on. Uh, these courses, we've developed a 10-part, one-and-a-half-hour session, 10-part, 10 parts of one and a half hour session workshops practical where we sit down with a community round a table over 10 weeks, which could be every other week or every month or whatever, um, designed for social prescribing, designed, i.e. to be NHS proof, to be safe, not to set alarm bells running, you know, as we don't, as medical herbalists too, we hope, uh, in doctor's eyes. And, um, and basically teach people how to look after themselves, focusing on on 10 of the most common, or actually I think it's about nine of the most common conditions, you know, menstrual problems, arthritis, whatever. But we also run, run a, a longer course, which is like three hours or can be all day, as I run at Chelsea Physic Garden and others like um, Alice Nugent in Marlowe and um, Jane Placker has done in Manchester and Roberta in Devon, is run uh, a three-hour workshop, a five, a five-part three-hour course. So that goes into things in more depth, but that's not necessarily appropriate to the public or to patients who just want to know how to look after their own particular problem, whether it's stress, sleep, whatever. So that's why we developed that 10-part mm. One and a half. And, and, and I do, I do, and I do want to plug that. I mean, for those listening who are setting up a practice or want to grow their practice or build their place in their local community, what you've got created there for living medicine is a really useful toolkit. And uh, I would encourage anybody who would like to use that to build their place in their community to come contact you and, and, and to learn more about how they can leverage up their work. 
It's a, it's a, new, a wonderful work you've done there, Alex, and very commendable. Well, it's fun. I mean, the other thing, it's just fun, as you know. You know, it's working with local people, you know, working with people, you know, around a table. So you've got tea, you've got foods on the table, you go through all that. So if people are interested in running this, it's um, – or the, or the five-part sessions um, – it's – they just need to email me at alex.laird at livingmedicine.org. Very easy to remember. But also on livingmedicine.org where the website actually does need to be updated a bit, but they can download examples of at least two of the 10-part course handouts. Thank you. No, that's really helpful. So, uh, that, I mean, that's a, a, a nice part of the weft in this story that uh, you were working in parallel with all the other work you did on this uh, living medicine work. Uh, it, it does come back to what we were saying earlier about the skin conditions, that you're dealing with... Uh, people in their community, in their culture, having to address cultural aptitudes and, and approaches. Often people, mostly people, never used herbs before. Uh, you're having to navigate all that as well and bring all those skills when all they came in with, with, with a bit of psoriasis. Um, so it reminds us that um, the, the actual condition is... Uh, uh, is a very almost a, a very small part of the whole picture that we address, isn't it? Uh, it is. It is, and I think. I mean, it's it's sometimes slightly difficult. You know, it's important to remember that that in a way, what we're doing is offering. Uh, you could well, you could say it's an overused ter term, but a journey. It's a whole new way of looking at themselves in relation to the world looking at ourselves in relation to the world um, and our dependence actually on I think it, I think it's a word if it's an overused word it deserves to be overused I yeah. mean <laughs> if we're doing our job well we're taking people on a place that's different from where they are at the moment and that yeah. involves changes on a much wider basis so you're talking about diet aren't you you're talking a lot about food and about the gut health um, yes. yes as a, an essential part of any skin review well I, it, it, we are and and i think one of the things that puzzled me slightly because i came to this food as medicine idea early on actually thanks to michael van stratton when i was reading one of his books um, well, yes. when i was working with people with hiv in particular you know supporting them through their well trying to build resilience as we would call it now um and i suddenly thought oh, hang on a minute i'm a phytotherapist if we're going to use the european term or the um Phyto meaning plant therapy, plant therapy. Well, hang on a minute. Aren't plants, uh, food is therapy, and every food produces its own phytochemicals, including the fruit part, if you like, the fruit vegetable part of a plant. And, and it just suddenly, again, another light bulb came on. And I thought, well, crikey, we're not really making the most of this. So I really started looking in as, as food and functional medicine food food as function and then realized that we didn't get really enough of this actually in our you know it wasn't really incorporated in in a seamless way i think in our training that's the thing so i'm i, I try and do that with my patients actually and it, it just emphasized you know herbs spices foods themselves skins pith seeds all of those things which concentrate those phytochemicals yeah. uh which are basically what are doing the functions in us so yeah with patients i first of all make it in, whether they're skin or not skin 
making it make it very clear and sometimes draw a little graph of what number one priority in health, uh, well, number one priority in health is actually having a roof over your head and enough money and so on. But once we got past this, the all the work that Mike, Michael Marmot has so brilliantly laid out about the relationship between the environment, the social environment, economic environment and health, getting onto the more direct environment of what we're putting into our bodies and the emotional side is explaining how keeping our blood sugar within limits and slow releasing eating slow releasing food is absolutely fundamental to inflammatory disease of which which of which skin is a classic example yes skin is a classic example yes. so number one is that that is stage one really uh, I'm not saying that you can't, because clearly people have, you know, practitioners have, patients have responded, you know, by tipping that that seesaw with maybe some powerful herbs or, you know, we never know where the lever is going to be in a human being. So we just have to start where we can. And I like to start with food and making sure that the person is nourished, because if you've got not just the macronutrients, and many people don't even have those because they're eating only the carbs and very little fat and not enough protein, you want to get that balance right, too, so that you can actually help to shift that inflammatory balance, let alone and this is where I explain is once you've established that enough of the right macronutrients and micronutrients is then, well, you know, did you know that you're concentrating those those phytochemicals, which are the things that enable the liver function to detoxify, that enable you to keep nice bendy blood vessels and good flowing blood and um, enable the bowel to function properly. And then there are the microbes you want to, you know, to feed your, our partners. Um, so all of that means then explaining the role of the colors and the tastes and making sure that you're getting really in the end diversity, because this is what it boils down to. If you can get diversity into your diet, this is the bottom line for resilience in all aspects of life actually, socially as well. It strikes me as such an important uh, line that we can be taking here as you're doing there. You know, you're dealing with people who often need to be introduced to the fact that food itself is important. And, and for, for so many, that's a novelty. But you can, I mean, they're, they're coming in with a skin condition, which you would think would be a wake-up call every time they wake up in the morning. You know, I've got to do something about this. It's interfering with my life in one way or another. You can then link that to the, their inner health mm. and to start the journey on the quality and the benefits of a diverse range of foods and gut health and so on. And then you say, well, we've actually got some really concentrated versions of these uh, instruments. Uh, we call them herbs and spices, by the way. So you can also add those like uh, we were talking about uh, uh, nigella seeds, for example, yes. something that a component that they would often include in their cultural diet um, could that so you've got a nice connection from uh, of storyline in which the herbs ca could play a more uh, meaningful part yeah yeah and also it, it's explaining that food is more than fuel because most people think it's fuel really yeah. our education system is so lacking Absolutely. you know with children we should have empathy developing at a very early age much much more basics about how do we how do we live you know how are we designed don't have to have a designer to be designed we're responding to our environments and why we need stress stress is very important that's what creates the 
secondary mm. metabolites and why the plant produces them is to respond to its environment. So we need to understand these very basic principles and we need to teach them and then and, and how to live and how to eat. You know, it's we're, we're very um, we're, we're lacking that hugely as human beings. We're not responsible for our children. But so that, yeah, food as fuel, it's much more than that. And that's the quick win, especially with things like the herbs and the spices. And with many cultures who already use them, it is an easier way to go. So much of what you're talking about and uh, in, in your work more widely has been around education, isn't it? That, that, that's the thing that really in, uh, mm. you're, you're manifesting there. You're, you're in the business of teaching. You're in the business of being... Uh, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, doc, dottore, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, that's, yeah. Docari, which is uh, educari, yeah. is to lead out. Um, it's yeah. always fascinating. I, I always, I spend a lot of my time looking at etymology of every word, and that's what you do when you're also read your um, studying medicine, isn't it? You you read, you want to know what an itis is, and uh, so it, it illuminates, it it un, unpacks the meaning of the word in an illness or whatever. So, yes. Um, it's the function we're educating the patient. I think we all have slightly, of course, as, as many people as there are in the world, each of us practices differently. And my job, I feel, is very much as an educator and open people's eyes as I have had my eyes opened, not to some zealous, you know, uh, new ism, uh, but much more to the beauty of the world. I think that's another hugely important thing. It's the pleasure that you're trying to show is there in eventually widening tastes. You know, we've been designed with all these taste receptors. We've been designed for diversity because that's the world. That's that's nature. And uh, it's really uncovering capacity. I think that's the thing. And my job is to very much teach people how to do that or coach them but also to remind us all, as we all need reminding, about the depth of our resources when you're feeling hopeless um, and unable. You want somebody to put your hand in theirs, their hand in yours, and to help you move on and to be reminded that you can manage this. You know, you have more resources than you think. I think that's always very comforting. Thank you. Uh, I mean, by the way, I mean, these patients are obviously, they're, they're different from the usual patients we have as practitioners. They, they're being referred, they're doing it, you know, as part of their the usual medical pathways. Uh, do they stick around long? Do you get much sense in which you're making a difference to their condition? We, we did. And um, yes, yeah, so we actually, they I might see patients for maybe a year or maybe even longer. Yes. Yes. Not necessarily every month. It might be initially I might see them twice. So the first appointment is an hour, the second one's a half hour. And I work back to back. So it's incredibly busy if you've got now, as it happens, students online, maybe 20 or 15, 10 to 20 students online and four in the in the room, up to four in the room in the morning, at least, because in the afternoon, they go to the team, they're split up among the the dermatology team. So they can see how medicine works as well in skin. Yes, we've done, um, uh, I'm probably at the moment seeing something like 20, 20 patients, new patients a year, but I will be seeing lots for a very, very long time. Oh, gosh, yeah. that's impressive. 
but we did do, uh, we've done two audits now. They're very much based on the measure your medical outcome profile, MIMOP. Uh, and uh, we actually studied, that was between 2000 and 2007 or 8 or whatever, and wrote a paper about this. Um, we looked at about 384 patients, and that was because we also had other clinics running. So the Middlesex and University and Westminster wanted to run clinics too for their students teaching clinics. So that was great. And we've had three clinics running. Sadly, now we've only got mine, which is funded partly by Hartwood and fun and by other students who pay to come from other medical herbalist colleges. But of those 348 patients, we logged, you know, what they came for, what conditions, how many, and we found that actually all patients had reported a, at least a 0.5% improvement of a seven-point scale of self-reported symptoms, which was really incredible. And, and so we felt able to recommend in 2017, you know, in a, in a short paper to the um, British Association of Dermatology Journal, uh, that they we could recommend, you know, herbal medicine. Personalised herbal medicine, not off the shelf. Exactly, yes. personalised herbal medicine. Hmm. So, yes, and people now ask for it. They don't know. We we we're, we 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 haven't blown a big trumpet, but we have certainly blown a research trumpet. Well done. I mean, that really is important. And you know, I, I do keep coming back to the fact that these are patients who, by definition, have got significant or serious conditions. So it's, it's not something that's likely to just go away on its own behalf. If, if you're seeing benefits, those are. Re- real benefits because of the 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 seriousness of the condition that they present with so it is impressive that you've seen those changes uh, i'm very struck by by the way in which you have managed to put what we do in the practice um, usually alone with a, with another patient into such a bigger context and it's really impressive alex um, and that you have you know with a condition as complex as skin uh, you have shown that yes, individual approaches uh, are what you need. Uh, social uh, uh, sensitivity to social and cultural and other backgrounds are what are important. Those are all the things that uh, skin conditions, particularly, bring us up to do. Yes, I mean, I was very, very lucky, you know, because and, and also Simon, I didn't really want to do skin. It's the least, it, it, you know, 20, 20 years ago, it was my least favorite subject. I think probably because I hadn't experienced much to do with skin, whereas gut problems, I had 30 years of IBS, uh, you know, still there, always a bit vulnerable to it. But fermented foods actually have been made the huge difference in the last year. Amazing. Putting in a plug, yes. Yeah, putting in a plug. Um, but skin, it was thanks only to Tony Bewley, who Anthony, Dr. Anthony Bewley, um, that who invited, who came to lecture to us as students, and he said, "Well, come and sit in with me." So mm. it's only because I happen to be one person that did. One key person can make the difference, can't they? Yeah. Exactly. Well, I'm, I'm aware. I mean, we've got got through time so quickly. We haven't even talked about your work with the Breast Cancer uh, Centre and all the other things you do, Alex. I mean, maybe that actually what, what, that could be a reason to have another an, another version of this where we talk more about that as well but yes. for now thank you so much for sharing that it's been really fascinating oh 
Well, it's a great, great pleasure to share it with you, and and particularly because of your role in in being on this path. Really, that's hugely, you know, pleasurable. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. You've been listening to the Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, perhaps you'd like to leave us a rating. That would really help us to spread our message for herbal health. We hope you'll join us again for the next episode. And in the meantime, if you'd like a few more herbal insights from us, do have a look at herbalreality.com. We'll learn more from us via Instagram, where we're at herbal.reality. And we're on Twitter and Facebook too. We'll be back with another episode of The Herbcast soon. Thanks for joining. 